All right. If you would, open your Bibles or open uh, your phone if you have access to the Bible to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews, which is toward the end of your New Testament. Hey, kids, I know it's the first Sunday of the month, so we don't have Elevate. I know this could be a hard week of the month for you, especially the fact that it's raining. So it's like you have inside PE, plus you don't have Elevate um, on, on this Sunday. Parents, just adopt a couple of uh, grandparents or aunts and uncles around you uh, if you if you need that help. Thank you for having your kids here in worship, though. This impacts their lives more than more than you could ever know. Uh, being gathered with God's people, hearing the gospel, son, hearing prayers, hearing scripture. Hey, let me encourage you that if you don't have a Bible in front of you this morning, or or you don't have a Bible app on your phone. Seriously, scoot closer with someone who does. We're going to have the verses on the screen, but I just want you to have a heads up that we are going to use a lot of Scripture this morning, which I hope that's always the case. I hope it's hard to come to a church service at Emmaus and not use your Bible. Um, We want that to be core to who we are uh, as people of God, and so we're going to use a lot of Scripture this morning. Let me also say, if you don't have a Bible... Don't feel shame or embarrassment about that. Come to us after the service, and we will get you a copy of Scripture to take home. You may want to go back this week and read through some of these verses from the book of Hebrews uh, and look at them if you don't have a Bible at home that you've been reading through. And so we'd love to, love to be able to get that, get that for you. I just I feel the weight about what we're talking about this morning, thinking about the holiness of Jesus and who he is and what that means. Even singing those songs and realizing how well they connect with what we're going to talk about right now, feeling the weight of that. What I would like to do is if, if you would pray for me at this time, and I want to pray for you, I want us to go before the Lord just to prepare our hearts again for, for the weight of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Let's pray together, and then we're going to get started. Father, I pray that each of us this morning, whether we have been a part of a church for many years or whether this is the first time we've been in a church building in a long time, Father, I pray that you would use these songs that we've sang, you would use the power of your word to focus our hearts and our minds on Jesus Christ. It's so easy to say words about what we believe. It's so easy maybe even at times to attend a religious service, but we miss the significance. We miss the power of what we're talking about. And so, God, I pray that you would make that clear to our hearts this morning, that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is better than anything else we could ever find or obtain in life, that once and for all that he has made us right with you and so we can have peace and freedom and confidence in life. God, I pray that you would put away a lot of fear this morning, you would put away a lot of anxiety, and God, that you would use this time to draw us closer to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we were part of a sermon series this fall going through the theme of holiness. And here's one of my concerns when we talk about holiness. One of my concerns when we talk about holiness is that we would have the wrong idea in our mind of what it means to be holy. That you can wear jeans with holes in them and still be holy. That holiness is not necessarily based on where you're located, 
the outward appearance of your life, though those things do matter, that holiness is, is more than that. And so we've been using a working definition of holiness that's going to come up on the next screen here, that when we talk about holiness, we're talking about being separated from sin and dedicated to God. Now, when we were living in Mississippi, in the little town of Mississippi that we were living in there on the Gulf Coast, the town was probably 75% Catholic because of its connection to New Orleans over the years. And in this town, there was a beautiful monastery in town. Had these incredible, if you've seen those oak trees that grow in New Orleans along the Gulf Coast, they have the Spanish moss that hangs off of them. It was an amazing campus. And so we would go over there sometime to interact with, um, have conversations with the monks who lived there at, at this location, at this abbey. And so we would go there. And the first time I went there, I have to confess to you, I thought, Ooh, man, I could stay here. Uh, like my introverted personality. And you get there, and it's so peaceful and so secluded and so beautiful, and people don't talk very much there, and you're like, wow, now this is pretty, pretty awesome. And, and then this thought crossed my mind. Now, for some of you, that may be like one step from Hades, but for me, it was one step from, uh, from heaven. And so I had this thought cross through my mind when I was there, and the thought was this. If I lived in a place like this, I could really be holy. If I lived in a place like this, beautiful scenery, secluded from other locations, people not talking very much, I could really be holy. You understand the danger with that, right? That holiness would be about separating ourselves from other people, that holiness would be about separating ourselves from the things of the world, that, that holiness would be about our outward circumstances and not about what Christ has done in us. I don't want you to go through this morning's sermon. I don't want you to sit through services this fall at Emmaus and think, I really wish I could be holy, but I could never attain to that. Holiness is the separate category. That's good for the preacher. That's good for those other people that have time to pray and read the Bible. I could never be holy. What we're trying to talk about over these few weeks that we have together to talk about the theme of holiness is that holiness is something that God desires to do in each and every one of us through the power of Christ. I love this quote from Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot says, The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. The holiness that God wants to work in your life matters because of where you live. Matters because of where you work. Matters because of the family that you have. So we don't say, God, get me out of this situation, and then, man, I would really live a holy life for you. We say, God, work holiness in my life so that it shows up in every area of my life. Where you live, where you work, where you go to school, that is God's purpose for working holiness in your life. How do we know this? Because we see it through Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. I want to show you how this picture of holiness through Jesus Christ is meant to help you understand the holiness that God wants to work in your own life. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times, 
And in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So speaking of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that God has spoken to his people for, for many, many years in many different ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. What the author of Hebrews is doing here is he's going to set up a contrast between the Word of God, which truly is the Word of God that has been given through the prophets leading up to the time of Jesus, and then Jesus, who would be the ultimate final Word of God, who would be the ultimate final picture of what holiness looks like. So uh, several years ago, uh, not at Emmaus, at a church I was at previously, several years ago, I was sitting in my church office, and this gentleman walked in, and he was wearing overalls, t-shirt, kind of disheveled hair, but he walked in with a really nice looking briefcase. Um, So my curiosity was piqued, so he came into the office, and he said, sir, can I talk to you about what's in my briefcase? Now, you know, hesitancy says, ooh, I don't really know. (laughs) How do you answer that question? There's probably not a right answer to that question. I said, sure, go ahead. Figured he was about to try to sell me something. You'd be shocked on a weekly basis how many things churches are sold. Uh, But he came by and he had this briefcase and he said, I'd like to tell you about the Baha'i faith. Well, I was intrigued. I was like, I I don't, this particular faith, this particular religion, religion, I I don't know a lot about. He said, I want to tell you about the Baha'i faith. And so he opened his briefcase and there in my church office, he began to tell me about the Baha'i faith that he was a follower and, and a teacher, a part of. Now, let me tell you right now, if you are a part of the Baha'i faith, and this is the one random Sunday that you've picked to come to, to Emmaus, don't run off. I'm not going to say anything disrespectful. I don't want to say anything that is ever that way about another faith. We want to speak truthfully and respectfully about what other people believe. And so, from what this man told me, the Baha'i faith is the idea that over the years, God has given multiple pictures or multiple manifestations of himself. And so, Abraham, Moses, Krishna, Confucius, Jesus, Muhammad, there's, there's these multiple times and multiple ways that God has revealed himself. And then in the 1800s, Along comes a group that is connected to the Shiite section of of Islam. Along comes some people, and they had a revelation that God had finally given the perfect manifestation, the perfect picture of himself through a teacher called the Bab. B-A-B, not B-O-B, but but the Bab. And then the Bab spoke of another manifestation of God that would come who called himself Baha'u'llah, the glory of God. And so what the Baha'i faith teaches, and the reason it's growing so fast and so popular, um, even here in the area that we live, is because it it focuses on universal peace. It focuses on this idea of a one-world people, a one-world order, that we're all in this together. But the teaching is Abraham was good, good teacher. Moses, really important religious man. Krishna, great religious teacher. Jesus important religious teacher, a picture of who God is, but not the final picture, that there would be other manifestations, there would be other pictures of God to come, that Jesus was not 
He was a holy man, but he was not set apart and distinct from these other manifestations of God that has been given. The reason that Hebrews 1.1 is so important is because Hebrews 1.1 says, yes, there were prophets before Jesus, but they pointed to Jesus as unique. They pointed to Jesus as the ultimate picture, the ultimate revelation of who God is. How do we know that? Because look what happens in verse 2. In these last days, in verse 2, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Jesus is not the Western American God. Jesus is not the God for one period of history. Jesus is the heir, the appointed heir of all things. And not only that, but the end of verse 2 says, through whom God created the world. So Jesus is not a created being. Jesus was involved in the creation of the world. Jesus is not just one in a great series of religious teachers that would come. He is God. He is the creator of all things. John chapter 1 is a good picture. I have the verses of this on on the screen that kind of reflect this. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Then look at verse 3, what it says there. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is not one in a series of God's created teachers that he sent us. Jesus is God with us. He has been holy for all of eternity. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 1, and you have a hard copy of the Bible in front of you that you don't mind writing in, above Hebrews chapter 1, here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to write John 1. And then I would encourage you to write Colossians 1. Colossians is one of the books in the New Testament, C-O-L-O-S-S-I-A-N-S. Colossians 1. And then you should write Philippians 2. The reason I would have you write that is in the New Testament, there are four very distinct passages of Scripture that point to the fact that Jesus is God for all of eternity. That he is not one in a series of God's revelations, that he is not just a good teacher with us, that he has been holy for all of eternity. Colossians 1, John 1, Hebrews 1, and Philippians 2 are passages that you go to in the New Testament to to see this picture on display. Uh, Look in verse 3, in fact, of, of this chapter we're looking at in Hebrews 1. Look at Hebrews 1, verse 3. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You get a picture here of Jesus' holiness and power for all of eternity. But here's the incredible thing. He was not only holy for all of eternity, Jesus' holiness was demonstrated by coming to us, coming to our world. This is where my story from earlier about the monks comes into play. Some people would say that's great that Jesus was holy for all of eternity, but he's never experienced this world, except he did. And it didn't take away from his holiness, it only made it clearer to us. Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, 
verse 31, part of the appearance of the angel to Mary. Luke 1, 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now Mary has a question in verse 34. How will this be, since I am a virgin? Verse 35, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. At the birth of Jesus, there are two realities that you have to hold together. He is fully holy, fully divine, fully God. He does not leave behind being God when he comes to be born as a baby. He remains fully God. At the same time, he's not born as partly baby, partly human. He is born fully human into our world, and that doesn't take away from his holiness. Holy for all of eternity, holy at his birth. Holy as fully God, fully divine, holy as fully human, showing us what it looks like to live out God's purpose in the world. And so you have to hold together both of those realities. Not only was he holy at his birth, though, the third point in your notes is that he was holy throughout his life. You go back to the book of Hebrews, and you turn over to chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, you turn over to verse 10. We're going to work our way through a good number of verses in Hebrews, and so look on with somebody beside you if you don't have this, but Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering, not apart from suffering. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have, the one, all have one source, which is God. That is why he, speaking of Jesus, is not ashamed to call us, to call them brothers or siblings. And then look over in chapter 4. Chapter 4, at the very end of chapter 4 in verse 15, if you are a Bible underliner, Bible highlighter, Hebrews 4.15 is probably already underlined or highlighted. If not, it will be now, because I just sort of guilted you into it, but I uh, didn't mean to. So, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, what he did for us, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Uh, my wife told me that the fifth and sixth grade girls talked about this a little bit on, on Wednesday night. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. Jesus, perfectly holy and sinless throughout his life. And you say, well, easy for him to say. He didn't work where I worked. He didn't live in the family I lived. He didn't go to the school that I go to. But what we know is that he faced temptation. He faced trials. And through those temptations, through those trials, through that suffering, his holiness was put on display. It would be one thing to say Jesus was holy for all of eternity, but he stayed in heaven for all of eternity. Okay. 
Jesus was holy in his life and faced every temptation and every trial that came his way, which gives us incredible confidence that he says, I've been there. And, and I can literally say, I've been there. I've experienced those things. I will carry you through that. And so he was holy in his life. Point number four, he was holy at his death. Go over to Hebrews chapter 9. So we're going to skip several chapters in Hebrews. We'll do a more thorough study at another time. Or I know some of our Sunday school classes are even studying this right now. But Hebrews chapter 9, go over to verse 11. What I want you to see is Jesus holy in eternity, holy at his birth, holy throughout his life, remained holy at his death. Chapter 9, verse 11. When Christ appeared as a high priest, there's that phrase again, as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all. There's that phrase from the song we sang earlier, and you're going to see it multiple times that shows up in Hebrews. He appeared once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, if those sanctify for the purification of the flesh, look at verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, he was holy in his life so he could be holy at his death. He offered himself without blemish to God, and he will purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Look down further in chapter 9, down to verse 25. So chapter 9, verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Okay, I don't mean to over-exaggerate this, so, so stay with me. You could take Hebrews 9.26 home, or you could take it to your Sunday school class or your small group, and you could divide it into the four parts up there, and you could begin to talk and meditate and think about the power of Christ. This, this is the story of Christianity put on display for us. He appeared once for all. He didn't have to come multiple times. He didn't die multiple times. He didn't offer himself multiple times like the Old Testament sacrifices. Once for all. You're not looking for another Savior to come. There's no other Savior to come. He has come once for all at the end of the ages. There's no further revelation of God that we wait on. There's not something else that we look for. He has come and he has brought all of God's plan to perfect fulfillment. What, for what purpose? To put away sin, not just to cover sin temporarily, but to do away with it, to destroy its power. How? By the sacrifice of himself. He was holy at his death so that his holiness could be made possible for every person who receives that sacrifice. But not only was he holy at his death, 
He remained holy for all of eternity because he came back to life. Look at the next verse in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, Just as it is appointed for mankind to die once, and after that comes judgment, so we don't get a second chance after this life. We die once and then face judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So don't forget, I know this is so simple, but don't miss this. The holiness of Jesus at his death meant that he did not remain dead, that he was resurrected, that he rose again, and that his holiness lives on throughout all eternity. Holy for eternity past, holy at his birth, holy throughout his life, holy at his death, holy for eternity future. He is our king, he is our savior, there is no other. And you say, okay, yeah, yeah. But there's a huge gap, Owen, between him and me. And I would say, absolutely there is. We have not existed for eternity past. We were created at a particular time. Psalm chapter 119, verses 13 and 14. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. We did not make all things. We have not existed for eternity past. We were created, so we're not holy like Jesus in the same way. On top of that, we weren't holy at our birth, and we sure haven't been holy throughout our life. You go to the next screen. we got the, some verses up there. Psalm chapter 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans 5.18, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. You get this same idea unpacked throughout the Bible of we weren't holy at birth and we have not been holy throughout our lives, which means our sin leads to death. Jesus' holiness led to his death. Our sin leads to death. And apart from him means separation from God for all of eternity. So what is our hope in that? Where do we turn Look in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. We have been sanctified. That's the word for made holy. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Okay, here's the reality. Kids, you guys can follow me just as well as an adult could at this point, okay? Here's the the reality. Jesus, as the Son of God, is perfectly holy for all of eternity in everything that he did, including his time on earth. We, in our sin, are not holy. We are separated from God because of sin, which leads to death. You take all of the religions of the world, You take all of the philosophies that people have about how to live life, and you can divide them into these two camps. Either the answer to that problem comes from within us, or it has to come from somewhere else. So either I've got to find it within me to get my life together, 
to figure out how to make up this gap between me and the creator of the world, or that answer has to come from outside of me. It has to come from somewhere else. And what we believe is our only hope to be made right with God, our only hope to be made holy is through Jesus Christ. Not anything that I could ever do for myself, but what he has done in offering himself. Right there, verse 10, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Look at verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, there was only one, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are being made holy. I pray that if you do not know where you stand in your relationship with God, if you acknowledge this morning that there is a holy God who created all things, who is king of the universe, who is judge of every person in every place that's ever existed, if you, if you understand that holiness, and then you look at yourself and say, man, I don't stand a chance. I know myself. I am broken and dark and messed up inside, and I've tried to get my life together, and I just cannot do it. I pray that you would look outside of yourself and that you would look to Jesus Christ who gave up his life once and for all as the perfect sacrifice for your sins and that you would trust in him and that you would receive the salvation that he brings because the salvation he brings is a once and for all salvation. It's not, hey, come to me and then I'll give you a list of things to do and hey, your life might turn out okay. His message is come to me those who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest for your souls. If you are anxious, if you are broken, if you are trying to get your life together, come to Jesus and he will give rest for your souls. Stability, hope, peace that can never be taken away because he has made the once and for all sacrifice. What do we do with that? What if you say, okay, Owen, that is the gospel I believe. That is the gospel I hold on to. If I was staying in your place, that's the gospel I would preach as well. What do I do with that, though? What does that holiness of Jesus mean for my life? Look down in verse 19. What if you do hold on to that gospel already? Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. Since we have this great high priest in verse 21, what do we do? Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Hear me out. If you believe that Jesus Christ is your only hope to be made holy, your only hope to be made right with God, what do you do? You live in that confidence and you draw near to God. Not cockiness, confidence. 
That's what we tell ourselves sometimes. Oh, I'm not cocky, I'm just confident. No, you're probably cocky. But in this situation, you don't have anything to be cocky about. Neither do I, because we didn't get ourselves out of the problem to begin with. So we don't have cockiness because we didn't do anything to make ourselves holy. We do have confidence, though. We do have confidence because our faith, our hope, our trust is in Jesus and what he's done for us. And so it says, if you have that, verse 22, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Draw near to the Lord in prayer. Draw near to the Lord in worship. Draw near to the Lord in faith in how you live your life. He's not keeping you at arm lengths. He is saying, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. But not only draw near to God, draw near to one another. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, if you have this faith in Jesus, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you believe in the holiness of Jesus, that should lead you to want to be a part of his holy church. I believe, Owen, that Jesus is holy and that he's made me holy, but I really don't want anything to do with the church. It doesn't work in the New Testament. A holy Jesus leads us to be part of his holy church as we gather together, as we encourage one another, as we stir up one another, as we kick each other in the pants and say, keep going. You can do this. Follow after. Hold on to Christ. We need to do that together. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're going to spend a whole Sunday talking about what it means to be a part of, of a holy church. But the Holy Son of God draws us in to be a part of his church. Verse 26 Hear this warning. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, so the knowledge about Jesus' holiness, if we go on sinning deliberately, verse 27 says, we don't have a sacrifice for sins left at that point, only a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. The word of God for you this morning is don't mess around with the holiness of Jesus. If you say, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus is holy, sure. And I even believe I raised my hand one time, and I was saved, and so I'm good. And you live your life however you want to. Hebrews says you are trampling underfoot the blood of Christ. You are taking what is holy, the name and the blood of Jesus, and you're using it for your own purposes and then saying, I'll live however I want to. When we understand Jesus' holiness, we will reject sin. Now, are we going to struggle with it? Absolutely. We've said that over and over throughout this series. But if you were here this morning, and you are sinning deliberately, while at the same time claiming the holy name of Jesus, number one, I would call you to hear that warning. And number two, I would call you to repentance. You can't live in that guilt. You can't live in that shame. But the Lord is there to say, come back. Remember, I am going to make you holy. Come back and hold on to the things of Christ. Look ahead in verse 32. We're just going to read to the end of this chapter and, and wrap up here. I want you to hear the rest of this. Verse 32. Recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. 
Holiness doesn't exempt you from suffering. It doesn't exempt you from struggle. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Sometimes you became partners with those who were treated that way. Verse 34, you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. A holy life does not grasp and hold on to the things of this world, but says, I don't need those. I'm not going to be dominated by those. My holiness comes from somewhere else, not from the things that I hold on to. Verse 35, therefore, point you to the future, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Look down at verse 39, that final verse of the chapter. Verse 39 says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Okay, it's a little bit hard to pick it up because of where we are in the book of Hebrews at this point. Plus, my personality, our personality as a church, I know we're, we feel a little bit more su- subdued. Um, but put, your, put yourself in a church or a situation, or even if you're like sports, put yourself in a pregame situation where everybody is gathered together in the middle of the field or in the locker room, and they've got their hands up, and they're jumping up and down together chanting because the tension is building, because there's something big coming here. Uh, put yourself in your favorite uh, African-American church with a great guy who's like building up the rhetoric, and the speed is building up in the sermon, and things are starting to build, because that's what's happening in Hebrews. You can feel the cadence picking up at this point. And you get to verse 39, and verse 39 is they're in the locker room, jumping up and down, cheering together. We are not that other team. We're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. If you want to be destroyed, go to the other team. That's what they're doing. They're shrinking back from the name of Jesus, but we are those who have faith in the name of Jesus and will see our souls preserved. Why? Because of anything we've done? No but because we are holding on to Jesus. We believe that he is holy and that in him we are able to be made holy. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is John chapter 6. John chapter 6, Jesus is telling the disciples some really difficult things. And people are turning and walking away. Jesus was terrible at church growth. Just when the crowd would get big, he would say something really hard and people would leave. Um, and, and so people are starting to leave. And Jesus turns and looks at his disciples and he says, are you going to leave as well? And Peter, who said a lot of dumb things, but also some incredible things, Peter says, to whom will we go? To whom will we go? You alone have the words of life. That's my question for you this morning. If you believe in a holy Jesus... Are you going to turn away from that and go somewhere else? Or will you say, Owen, I don't have anywhere else to go. Jesus is the only place I know to turn. He alone has the words of life. Jesus is enough. We don't look for anyone else, anything else. He is enough. He is sufficient. And Jesus is better. Jesus is better than any treasure of this world. Jesus is better than any comfort that I could receive from someone else. Jesus is better than any sorrow or suffering that I might face. Jesus is better. I will turn and worship him.
In just a second, after I pray for us, we're going to stand and sing a song that says Jesus is better. That he is all we need for life and salvation, and he is better than anything this world could ever offer. If you are here this morning, and you have never trusted in the name of Jesus for salvation, can I call you to do that this morning? You can keep looking, but there's no other Savior coming. You can try to get your life together on your own. It's just going to lead to despair and frustration. Or you can come to Jesus and find a holiness that only comes through him. Let me pray for us, and we're going to have a chance to respond this morning. Father, thank you for the little kids who are in here with us today to sing with us, to hear the Bible. God, I pray for the adults that are here this morning. Sometimes we come to times like this and we go through a service and we struggle internally, we struggle with circumstances around us, and we don't feel particularly holy at that time. But God, our holiness doesn't come from how we feel at that particular time. It comes from Jesus Christ. And we look to him for faith and salvation. We look to him for hope and for life. And so God, as a church this morning, we are gathered in the name of Jesus to say that he is enough. He is all we need for salvation. He is all we need to be made right with you. And we are gathered to sing this morning that Jesus is better that we believe that he is better than anything of this world. God, if there are people this morning doubting their standing with you, if there are people here this morning who have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, God, would you bring freedom to their hearts right now? God, let them respond by coming forward for prayer. Let them respond by reaching out to someone after the service. Father, we give ourselves to you right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.